Today is Thursday, the 23rd of January, Feast of St. Raymond of Penafort. Yay! Welcome to episode 101 of the Bar Hard, Bar Hard Podcast. This is Mark Doherty sitting in for Super, Super Nerd, and this is Anne. Hey, this is Anne. Happy feast, happy feast. St. Raymond of Penafort, can I just say, I mean, can we, can we just talk about St. Raymond for a second? The saint of outboard motors uh unofficially saint evanrude for those of you who have any experience in the uh recreational boating and outboard motor capacity um one of the coolest miracles on the books by far and if you're not familiar with it full post at at barnhart.biz and we'll put that in the show notes we'll definitely have the saint raymond of penafort blog post right there linked it is one of the coolest miracles ever. I mean, you know, barring the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, which was not a phenomenon of Jewish people sharing, my friends. That's not what that was. That was a full-blown multiplication of matter. Um, walking on water, yes, yes, that's, that's more awesome, all of that. But as, as miracles go, the St. Raymond of Penafort uh, taking off his Dominican cloak and turning it into a sail and gunning it at 27 miles an hour to Barcelona is across the water is just about one of the coolest things ever. It, it, it's pretty cool. And, it, and if you don't have a, an appreciation for speed over water uh, or comparing something like uh, uh, if you're on a scooter or a motorcycle on on a road and the difference in perception of speed versus when you're enclosed in a car. Mm. That's a lot like what it is on, on the water. So the feeling of 27 miles an hour on the water is more like feeling of like 40 or 45 miles mm-hmm. an hour uh, across uh, across the ground. So he was ripping along pretty good. He was going. He was going. It was full, full Evan Rude situation there. So... And he was the, he is, guys, he is the father of canon law. And what are we here on, you know, one of the things, I mean, just being perfectly frank with all of you listeners, and you all know, and I think you all have cottoned all of this, Super Nerd is not 100% comfortable or, you know, he's he's remaining, um, he's keeping an arm's length non-committal distance from the entire anti-papacy thing. He's clearly not opposed to what I'm doing or else he wouldn't be producing my podcast. He wouldn't be, you know, administering my website or any of those kinds of things, obviously. However, he's keeping an arm's length. He's, you know, he's, he's focusing on his family, all that kind of stuff. And, 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 you know, God bless him. So Mark and I are, when we do our podcast, we're, we're focusing and we're seizing on the opportunity to just go off on the whole anti-papacy thing because we're we're both we're we're on pretty much exactly the same page with regards to it so what we keep harping on over and over and over again is this is not about feelings this is not about what you want this is not about some pathological weird bizarre childhood trauma hatred of ratzinger for being your daddy who abandoned you it's there's nothing like that and I have to I have to also say on the opposite side of the coin I was visiting with someone good good solid solid person who put the hypothetical to me okay 
And what would happen if Bergoglio went away in whatever capacity? Presumably, he fake resigned. And I say fake resigned because you can't resign something that you never had. Um, but if, if Bergoglio was made to fake resign and go away, and they called another conclave, and again, I put conclave in quotes because as long as Ratzinger's alive, as long as Pope Benedict is still very much alive and, and occupying the, the Petrine Sea, Per Canon 359, snap, you can't call. The College of Cardinals has absolutely no potency or capacity to call a valid conclave. Okay, what would happen if Bergoglio went away, they called another BS invalid conclave, and lo and behold, they elected either Burke or Sarah? And I was specifically asked, Anne, what would your be what your what would your position be on that? And I would and I that's a no-brainer. Their feelings aren't involved in the decision there. It's if, not if it's involved. Burke, Burke would be an anti-pope. Exactly. It's, yep. Burke, that's Sarah, what it is. whoever, whoever. I don't care if he took the name Leo the Fourteenth. I don't care if it was Pius the Thirteenth, Leo the Fourteenth. I don't care. It 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 doesn't matter. What matters is the law. The issue here is canon law, and that's why we love, love, love Saint Raymond of Penafort, because Gregory Pope Gregory the Ninth specifically tasked um, Saint Raymond of Penafort because he was this brilliant Dominican, and he said, Raymond, I want you to put together a a, basically a codex of, of law for the church. And St. Raymond of Penafort, having a ginormous brain, did this, and it was so good. The codex that St. Raymond of Penafort put together in like 12-something um, was so good that it was basically the codex of canon law that that was the law of the church for for these juridical questions and matters up until the code of 1917 this thing lasted 700 years it was that good so saint raymond of penafort pray pray for, for us, us. yes and and isn't it interesting that that his code which what he did was it it had never been cobbled together before so you had mm -hmm. a thousand or you know 1200 years of juridical decisions and and law basically oh yeah there was, was law just, yeah yeah it was just out there and had not been uh gathered together and and literally codified mm -hmm. so that's what he did it was good enough to last for 700 years and isn't it interesting that then the code of 1917 wasn't even good enough to last 70 years interesting well I wonder if anything else happened along the way oh around 1917 no <laughs> no nothing happened around 1917 but you know what and the other thing is it's funny you say that you talked to any canon lawyer worth their salt and they will tell you straight up the 83 code is a dumpster fire of garbage juice of flammable garbage juice compared to the 1917 code and then this is where i come and you say well ann oh my gosh you're you're saying that but you're shooting yourself in the foot because that's the 83 code is the code that you keep citing damn right it is you know why because that's the code that we're under by the, that's right. by the perfect providence 
of God Almighty. We're under the 83 code. And you know what, kids? It's all there. Everything germane to this incomprehensible, unforeseeable, completely and totally cacked, and I say unforeseeable, but let me qualify that, except for the fact that the mother of God has been showing up for like 500 years telling us that exactly this was going to happen, except we couldn't make heads or tails of it, because this is all so crazy that nobody could have possibly foreseen it. And it's and every aspect of it is covered in the significantly suboptimal 1983 code. It's all there, but kids, it's what we're under, so it's what we're under. Everything that we need is is right there, and God Himself actually binds Himself to canon law. Never yep. forget that. Give us this day our daily bread. Isn't that isn't that in the Bible or something? Hmm. something? Hmm. So just to circle back to the point you made about, well, people are asking you, what would you do if, uh, or what would your position be if Francis were to die or to resign and another faux conclave would be uh, convoked? Mm-hmm. And, and the answer is, is obvious. It's just you're, you're following logic. I get... The opposite question asked so many times via email and in the com box, well, what are you going to do when Benedict dies? Where's that going to leave you? Oh, thank you for bringing this up. I covered this in the part one video, but of course, you know, um, people who are, I don't, I don't want to call them intellectually dishonest, but kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of, people who seem to have a stake in in this um, matter, but don't have two hours to spend to do the proper investigation. Imagine that. I don't. Mm. Ha- I don't have the time. Well, it's it's only the most important question in the physical universe right now. No, you don't have two hours. I'm sorry. How much time did you just spend today watching television, watching um, comic book movies, playing video games? I'm sorry, you you grown grown ass man. Language alert. There we go. Okay, we're gonna have to do a language alert. Grown ass man. Grown ass man. You're doing that, but you can't spend two hours to engage a data set. And actually, I have I have four hours of video presentation now available here. <laughs> right. right. But but time yeah. stamped uh, with mm-hmm. the with the PowerPoint presentation, just and as well as I don't know how many the full transcript top, of the per, of the part one the, too. The, right, the transcript of the part one, yep. and then direct links to probably ten or fifteen different blog posts that explain everything in one day. You can you can devour oh, yeah. all of this information and 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 all the entire data set is right there in front of you hello uh, and, make, and, make and, a pot of and this coffee. is actually yeah and this is actually your job yeah this this is your job keep please make make a generous tax deductible donation to our 501c3 so that we can continue our important important work you can't spend you can't spend a half of an honest day's work for every man up until your generation. You can't spend a half an honest day's work doing a modicum of research. 
you can't you quit you can't put personal animosity aside hell i read novus ordo watch all the time i mean i i don't have personal animosity against that guy i've never met him personally but i'm not a, obviously i'm not a 1958 set of acantus don't don't let me get sidetracked we need to get back to the set of acante argument because that's where we started this with um I, I don't i don't have a personal beef with mario what's his name at at novus ordo watch I've never met the man. I, I don't know. Let, and let me go on the record as saying this. And this, this might be quite controversial. And I'm sure that Mario and all the, all the Novus Ordo watch instead of Acantus people, because they live and die on and hang on every word that I say and every word that I write, because they're constantly commentating on everything that I say and do. Let, let me say this. At this point now, after all, all of this crap that has happened over the last not not just um how long has it been it's been almost seven almost years. seven years almost seven years now i i mean i went public and absolutely came to the firm conclusion in june of 2016 immediately after georg ganswein's speech at the gregorianum where he laid it all out and this is a bifurcation and a collegial synodal papacy you, all you listen you listeners you probably are very very well versed on this i don't need to repeat all of it so i'm i'm june 2016 saying okay all right that's it it is obvious now what has happened now for the to save time we'll just leave that there think about all of the crap that has happened in the last three and a half years the idolatry the denial of the divinity of christ amoris laetitiae i mean just there's so much there's so much that you can't even you can't even hold it all in your mind it's just literally Every day, and I've said this to people and Vaticanistas and everything, Bergoglio does more before nine o'clock every morning than all of the other previous controversies of all the previous popes put together. Bergoglio is surpassing it generally every morning before 9 a.m. Just just read what he said at, at his morning mass in the Casa Santa Marta. And there's something in there that's just, you know, the, the red flag of the visibility of the church and of the, the principle of unity of the church, which is the pope. Bergoglio clearly isn't that okay so my controversial point at this point given all of that i i think that the set that the 1958 set vacantus now i can't overemphasize this enough their position is wrong i believe that they are totally 100 percent wrong however their position has more intellectual coherence even though it's wrong it has more intellectual logical coherence than the intransigent trad francis is definitely pope shut up stupid you're ugly etc i mean whatever else it is you know Dot, yeah. dot, dot. The, the, the 1958 set of Candace are more logically coherent by a long shot at this point than the FIPers. 
It's true. And Nova Sorta Watch is actually a great resource. Oh, and yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I used to hesitate to recommend it because I don't agree with the position. You basically can't agree with their position and also uh, believe in the the doctrinal truth of the visibility of the church. Exactly. Because the, the church can't be visible if it hasn't had a visible head for Over a generation, years. exactly. 50, 50, yeah, 50 uh 52 years, I guess. Yep. So, um, uh, 62 years. So that's where the argument, even though their logical argument, and I'm talking about very well read, if you want to see the best documentation of every encyclical for the last 200 years, they've got it all. It's, it's all dissected and parsed. Uh, so, yes, the, the, the intellectual rigor yes. is there. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you run into this brick wall that is the visibility of the church. That's right. That's right. And... You know that brings us to where we 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 are here today, and everything is visible today, both the visibility of the church as well as the visibility of the anti-church. Mm-hmm. That's all the, all of this garbage that has come out. You could not have possibly gotten any Catholic to believe if you laid out the last seven years uh, for for them in a, sort of a prophecy, uh, and you did this in 2010. No, yep. Everyone, no one, everyone would have thought you were crazy. And you mentioned the yep. prophecies of Our Lady of the past hundred years. Hundred four. I two, mean, two, when it was Our Lady of right. Good Success is like sixteen something. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. That that much of it you you couldn't until this age discerned or understood how well some of the things that she talked about could possibly come to pass. And yep. yet, here we are. Oh, and reading Emmerich. I mean, I I read Emmerich for the first time in 2004. Even, but and remember, I hadn't converted yet. I was in the throes of my intellectual reading my way into, and going to see the Passion of the Christ on Good Friday of 2004. That was a big deal for me. And so I researched and I saw that Gibson's two main sources for the Passion of the Christ were the Gospel of Saint John and Emmerich. And I said, well, okay, I need to, I need to read this Emmerich. And so I went on Amazon and I bought some ancient hardback book of Emmerich and just, and devoured it. And you know what? A non-trivial percentage of it in 2004 just didn't really make any sense. Now today, that stuff makes perfect perfect sense it's it's like current events it's day to day it's unfolding in front of us it's absolutely incredible and so what i think about is think how long um the church before our lord's incarnation aka israel um imagine them looking at the book of isaiah and trying to make heads or tails of that imagine them looking at oh here's a good one the the canticle of canticles the song of songs i've had i had a a a talmudic jew rabbi email me once and say look you're you're all wrong on the song of songs that is straight up erotic poetry which was totally a genre in in judaism back then erotic poetry like that was a thing you're you are going you're out of your mind trying to read anything into any of that about God, a church, 
anything like that. And I'm just like, dude, I will pray for you because you are blind. Because it's the, to me, the Canticle of Canticles is one of the most just straight up amazing, amazing things in the Old Testament, you know? Yep. So it's interesting, though, that you brought up the seven years thing, because I've been meaning to do this in written form, but I think we should do this right now. Let's play a little, a little game, a little role-playing game. I'm going to let you be, um, you know, trad, trad Inc. Catholics, super docs, super trad, seven years ago today. So what's the date today? The 23rd of January. January 23rd, 2013. I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to be super docs, trad Inc. person. And I want you to answer it in the context of January 23rd, 2013, the one three, okay? This is not scripted, folks, but I'm going to try to get not, it right. This is not scripted. You, oh, don't worry. <laughs> oh, don't worry. This is, this, is, this, is a, this is a grapefruit I'm lobbing at you, my friend. Okay. All right. It, it is January 23rd, 2013. Mr. Trad Inc., um, does the Pope have to be Catholic? Yes, of course. And you're stupid if you think otherwise, right? Yes, of course. Uh, January 23rd in the 2020. Mr. Trad Inc., does the Pope have to be Catholic? Shut up, you're ugly. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> let's, let's do another example. Uh, Mr. Trad Inc., January 23rd, 2013. Can, can the Pope be an, be an active, publicly manifesting apostate? No, such a thing is impossible. January 23rd, the 2020, Mr. Trad Inc., can the Pope of the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, the Vicar of Jesus Christ on Earth, the principle of unity, the standard of unity, can he be a raging, publicly manifesting apostate? We've had tons of bad popes in the past. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew you'd do well at this. We could do this all day. We could do this. This could go on for another hour and a half. You all see the point that we're making. And, I mean, we laugh because, I mean, that's what you do or else or else you go bonkers. But then, on the other hand, you know, when, when you're dealing from a true-based premise and and you have faith in our Lord, and you, you love our Lord, and you trust completely in the fact that he is infinite good, that he is infinite truth, that he is infinite justice, that he can neither deceive nor be deceived, and that he would never, ever, ever put you or anyone else ever in a catch-22, ever. Then in short, life, life is easy. Life is in easy. short. Our Lord, He's got this. He's got this. He's got this. And it um, isn't just that He's got this, but He's got this in such a way that it is completely um, observable and knowable and discernible without any sort of claims to Gnosticism or anything else. You do not have to have a degree in canon law. You do not have to be a PhD, dual PhD in philosophy and theology to understand what in the hell is going on. 
and ironically, ironically, that the 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 Gnosticism is what we get accused of yeah. because the, the the people on the other side won't bother to look at the evidence. Well, hell, so they we're, say, we're, yeah, well, that's right. you're, you're you're appealing to secret knowledge. No, we're not. It's all out there. <laughs> no, please, here it is. <laughs> I refuse to look at it. It's a secret. (laughs) I mean, all you can do is laugh. But I mean, you know, the Good Shepherd discourse is not the sheep with multiple PhDs will know my voice. No, no, baby. Mm -hmm. It is it is the sheep. It's, It's quite the opposite. Yeah, exactly. And he's warning us off of that. I mean, what what is the warning about, okay, the wolves, the wolves are at the top. So the wolves are anti-Pope Bergoglio, who might be the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist. I mean, it's pretty clear who the wolves are. These Freemason, sodomite Marxists who have infiltrated the church. Who are the faithless hirelings? Well, you name it. The entire college of bishops, most of the priests... The, the, the quote-unquote um, uh, credentialed theologians, the credentialed canon lawyers, don't make me laugh. I mean, someone comes at me and, you know, Chris Ferrara is the most famous example of this, trying to voir dire me when I met him one time years ago, telling me first, we all think you're probably right. Again, I can't repeat that enough. Chris Ferrara said to my face, we all think that you're probably right. And then proceeded to try to dress me down and voir dire me for not having a degree in canon law, and even tried to shame me because I have because my college degree is in animal husbandry. Oh, ho, 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 ho. I, I mean, at, at this point, um, it's an anti-credential, according to me. Believe me. Ask anybody who knows anybody or who has eyewitnessed anything of the pontifical universities in Rome, the horror stories that even the faculty will tell you about being forced against their will to give a, you know, a C minus, a seven out of 10 to people who have absolutely no business passing a course, but they're forced to do it. We got, we got to keep the money coming in. We can't flunk these people Mm. out. You got to keep them going. These degrees are by and large, a total and complete joke. That's not to say there aren't intelligent people running around. There are. That's not to say there aren't intelligent canonists running around. There are. But the fact that someone is not credentialed is not in and of itself any sort of a proof of anything whatsoever today. So don't even fall for that. And if you have any doubts about what I'm saying, just go read the Good Shepherd Discourse. It's all right there. Yes, indeed. And before we uh, before we lose this, I just want to circle back on the point you were gonna you were gonna explain just the the logical uh, the, the logical progression of if Pope Benedict dies tomorrow. Yeah, if Pope Benedict dies tomorrow and Burke or Sarah were fake elected by some well, no, adjunct. if Benedict dies tomorrow, they wouldn't. Oh, be Bene- fake Benedict, Benedict, Benedict. Dies okay, tomorrow. all right, we covered that. Benedict dies tomorrow. Um, yeah the sea would be vacant. Now, here is where you can tell that the 1958 Sedvacantus are just, have, as they say, lost the plot. Are you 
honestly trying to make the argument that let's say what what you know it's x it's x o'clock in the in the post-meridian time time frame in the central united states let's say hypothetically that pope benedict just had a massive heart attack and is dead right now and has been dead for 45 minutes are you telling me are you honestly honestly so mendacious or so completely obtuse that you are trying to convince the world out there that me mark and you know all of the the more and more and more and more people who are coming online to the truth now are you trying to argue that us saying that pope benedict has been dead and the sea has been vacant for 45 minutes is exactly the same thing as you people saying that the sea has been vacant since 1958 Really? Do you honestly think that people are that stupid? Are you so shameless that you're willing to embarrass and humiliate yourselves by making an argument that is so transparently, so transparently obtuse and or mendacious that you just have no shame? The difference between Pope Benedict being dead for 45 minutes and thus the sea being vacant for 45 minutes is not even in the same galactic cluster as you people saying that the sea has been vacant since the year of the reparation of human salvation 1958 with the death of Pius XII. Right. And it's not only the SETIs that, that are that are making the comparison. It's the Trad Inc. that's using it as a yeah. slur oh, against yeah. us that, oh, well, you're, then you'd be a you'd be a SETI. Well, yes, but in a completely different a completely form different. of the term. <laughs> it, it, it's 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 the normal set of a Conte uh, 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 you know, time in between the rains. Interregnum. We, it's called yes. an interregnum. Yes. Thank you. And you know what that is? It is full-blown, hardcore Alinsky Rule 13. Just just try to um, isolate, polarize, and um, what's the other word that Alinsky uses? Not scandalize, but, you know, character assassinate with the, the, the most BS. Not, it doesn't even matter what you say. Just keep hurling these pejoratives at people like sp- like wet spaghetti at a wall and just hope that a percentage of it sticks. It's Alinsky Rule 13. Don't look at the facts. Don't use your brain. Don't be reasonable about anything. Just hurl pejoratives. And so that that's the, the um, origin of the pejorative benevacantist. And I mean, everyone that I've talked to, um, and I, you'd be surprised to all of the people that I talked to, all of the people that I talked to have said, that's the stupidest thing that I've ever heard because you're arguing that the sea is full. In fact, there's two of them trying to sit in it. And I'm like, well, to be more precise, there's exactly one person sitting in it and there's one Argentinian apostate standing over there doing what he's doing, you know. But, but yeah, right. everyone, everyone who's an honest player in all of this totally sees through all of that. And I just probably on your next uh, bullet point list is events of the last few days and just how many people are coming online now. 
Yes. Yeah, so it's it's uh, now that now that we just had a thirty minute intro. Uh, if it isn't already <laughs> obvious, the topic of this <laughs> the topic of this podcast is the uh, ongoing acceleration of the Bergoglian anti papacy, and the ongoing. Uh, now it's fair to say at this point, possibly the imprisonment of Benedict the Sixteenth, the yeah. one and only living pope since April of two thousand five. Which someone saw someone on the internet. The other day I saw someone on the internet, (laughs) someone on the internet said something that just kind of it's a couple days ago and it kind of stuck with me. And because I think it's a brilliant idea. We should all be totally planning huge celebrations for the upcoming 15th anniversary of this pontificate. Yes. Which is public, public celebrations, public postings. I think that's a great idea. I think that is an absolutely fantastic idea. And what, (laughs) what's the date or will will it be after Easter or when's Easter this year? Easter, Um, Easter 2020, April 12th. What's his date? I think it's earlier because John Paul II died on the second. Yeah. We'll have to talk about that sometime. There's there's all sorts of conspiracy theories that he actually died on the first, but the Vatican didn't want him announce that he died on April Fool's Day, so they withheld the information until the second. Eh, who knows? Uh, that's not. I'm not going to say it's not important. The truth is always important, but uh, let's let's not get wrapped up in this. Okay, hold on, hold on. So he ascended to the papacy on scrolling through Wikipedia. Scrolling through Wikipedia, it's April. You know why I'm looking this up? Nineteen. Because, because I don't drink during Lent, and I'm, you know, I'm thinking if I'm going to have to make some sort of an exception or something, because you you got to open a little bo- bottle of something with with bubbles in it on that day. Um, April nineteenth. What day did you say Easter was? Wait, wait. Twelfth. Uh, <gasps> we're good. We're good. You're good. You're we're safe. We're all good. April twelfth is Easter. It's what is it? The octave? Yeah. It would be the octave day. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Party at my house, y'all. Oh, that's funny. B-Y-O-B, bubbly, whatever it is. It has to have bubbles in it, whatever you bring. So uh, moving on then to the uh, current events, I guess the first thing that we should probably talk about that made the biggest splash was the Bookgate, Mm. where Cardinal Seurat co-authored clearly Clearly co-authored yeah. a book with Pope Benedict, and uh, uh, Cardinal Seurat was was smart enough, uh, you know, in this day and age, smart enough to keep all of his yeah. handwritten notes between him and 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 Pope Benedict, and and, email, and emailed notes and typed written notes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then uh, suddenly, a few days later, George, Archbishop George Ganswine. Damn dirty liar. Georg. 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 Not sorry. not being not being snotty, by the way. Not just trying to say gay. His it's actually Georg. Yeah. So uh, comes out and well, I'll let you take it from there. Okay, so he comes out and says, no, 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 no. This is all lies. No, the 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 <laughs> the whole the Holy Father Pope Emeritus Benedict the Sixteenth did not do any such thing. Okay, hold the phone. so just to get the sequence right that that happened a couple days maybe the day after 
Yes, the day after, I think, the public announcement, and then yeah. presumably Francis... Uh, uh, Who? Uh, uh, Antipope Bergoglio <laughs> had one of his little Bergoglios in, you know, freakout <laughs> sessions at... Uh, Casa Santa Marta, and they're called uh, narcissistic psychotic breaks. I believe is what you're looking for. Yes, yes. Lo and behold, mm-hmm. Ganswine is sent out to to issue this denial on behalf, supposedly, of, of Pope Benedict. Then mm. Cardinal Seurat pulls out his. <laughs> Um, you know, stack of evidence, and yeah. that that was kind of the sequence of how this went down. Yeah, and then and then so Nicholas Diat, who is Cardinal Seurat's basically right hand man in France, and who is who organizes and basically does all of his his books. And Cardinal Seurat is a, is a prolific author and has written fabulous, fantastic books. So Nicholas Diat is the name of his of his French right hand man. And Nicholas Diot comes out and says, hold the phone. We've got all of this. By the way, so so Ganswine comes out with this, no, he didn't do anything. Bruh, he didn't even see the cover. This is all, this is all, uh, this has all been foisted on him. Nicholas Diot comes out and says, excuse me, uh, girl, but you met, you met with our Italian translator on Friday, like 72 hours ago, and you were totally copacetic and everything's great, and thank you for all your work on this. Ganswine is a damn dirty liar, and we have known this, we have known this for quite some time. For me personally, the absolute 100% proof set that Ganswine is a, altogether now, damn dirty liar is, okay, if you recall in a year ago, almost a year ago, February of 2013, Diane Montagna of LifeSite News, who was on fleek, did a interview, did a, a full column, basically, where she interviewed Burke, um, Brandmuller, and Ganswine. And she had gone through basically what could be called all of the BIP um, position evidence, specifically honing in on Ganswine's speech at the Gregorianum on 20 May of 2016. And Diane Montagna, being a solid, intelligent, honest journalist, asked Ganswine about, well, you know, you said this, this, and this at the Greg, and then I had kind of forgotten this, but then it just came back to light and was put in front of me. A week later, seven days on the 27th of May of 2016, seven days after the Gregorianum speech, which caused an uproar, Ed Penton's headline Ed Penton's headline was Ganswine outlines bifurcation of papacy or something. I mean, I don't want to put I don't want to put um, words in Ed's mouth. Let me just look it up. Yep, and it's still yeah, it's still up. I mean, it's it's one of those. That's the that's Ed's headline was the first that I my first engagement with Ganswine's speech at the Greg, and so I look at at Ed Penton's headline and say, I'm making Scooby-Doo noises, you know. I'm <laughs> so I click through and I read this thing and I'm just like, 
You have got to be kidding me. That is what has happened. Okay, all right. So seven days after that, because everybody's in an uproar and everybody's going, what the hell? Paul Bade, the German um, Vaticanista, um, um, and I, I, have, I have learned, it's a, it is a point of Italian grammar, that um, Ista applies to both men and women. So it's not, uh. you're not being nasty if you call a man a Vaticanista or if you're calling a taxi driver a Tessista or something like that, you know. It's always, Ista means a person who is professional in their, in their category. Got it. So Paul Bade is a German Vaticanista. He interviews one week to the day or publishes one week to the day um, an interview with Ganswine in German. They share a mother tongue, so it's not like there was any confusion here. Paul Bade asks, um, oh, let me go back to Diane Montagna's. So Diane Montagna asks him about, about all this, and Georg Ganswine being the, altogether now, damn Damn dirty liar liar. that he is and Georg the gaslighter gaslighting Georg he just completely dismisses Diane by saying that's madness that's insanity um excuse me no it's not madness it's not insanity it's your words like thousands and thousands of words and here they all are can I read them back to you what, what the just so hell everyone does this knows, mean? Yeah. Just so everyone knows, this was not any sort of off-the-cuff remarks that he could have been, nope. uh, you know, that he misspoke or could have been misunderstood in what he said. This is a several thousand word written speech yeah. at a public event at the Greg. This, it was at a book launch and it was, it was written and he read it verbatim. It was not an extempore delivery. He wasn't just talking off the cuff like I'm talking off the cuff now, and I always talk off the cuff. He was reading a text that was in front of him that, again, I've said this many times, but it bears repeating because we never know what new ears are listening to all of this. I was told by members of the Ratzingerian academic circle in Rome that Ganswine drafted that entire speech, gave it to the Holy Father Pope Benedict for him to read, review, and approve. The Holy Father Pope Benedict XVI, gloriously reigning, read it, handed it back to Ganswine and his exact words, because they usually speak to each other in Italian, believe it or not, um, were complimenti, which means compliments in Italian, meaning, I mean, obviously, compliments. There it is. Good. Go. Go with it. Okay. Okay, so that's what I was told by extraordinarily serious, not prone to BS type of people, high-level academic type people in Rome, that that's what happened. Okay, Ganswine reads this thing verbatim. Seven days later, Paul Bade publishes an interview with him saying, now I just, I just want to make absolutely sure that I'm not misunderstanding you, that I'm not putting words in your mouth. You're saying that there, the, the papacy has been bifurcated and there are now two popes, an active pope and a contemplative pope. And Ganswine says, indeed, that is what I am saying. Okay, flash forward to February of 2019, Life Sites Diane Montagna interviews and I I assume this is done via email I don't know maybe it's in person I don't know but I assume it's via email she asks Ganswine about this 
and gaslighting Georg says, that's madness. That's absolute insanity. Um, excuse me. Excuse me. It's right there. You said it. And then you double down on it a week to the day later. This is, you can't we'll gaslight us. We'll obviously put a link to it in, in yeah. the show oh, yeah. notes. The, the, the complete uh, the complete speech is still out there and you really owe it to yourself yeah. to, to read it. And, and, you know, it's a piece of evidence, it's a big piece of evidence, it's but it's still, you know, it still needs to be combined with the other things that we, that we see out there. But the other not- notable thing about that speech is when he wanted to get uh, certain terms, very, very precise, he actually used German yeah. terms. Mm-hmm. So when he's he's talking about a uh, a uh, pontificate of exception, mm-hmm. and when he's talking about demythologizing the papacy, he's yep. actually inserting German terms into the text. Yep, yep, absolutely. I mean, German is known. I, I don't have any working knowledge of German, but what I've been told by people who do and linguists and so forth is that German is one of the best languages on earth for anything scientific or academically rigorous because it is just excruciatingly precise because it's a agglutative, 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 meaning that when you, when you look at a German text and you see a word that's like 4,000 letters long, um, what that is, is that that word is one concept. And in German, you can just keep tacking suffixes onto a word in order to make make the concept that you're trying to communicate more and more and more precise. I mean, we can do that a little bit in English, but the Germans just go bonkers with that. And that's why science, there's still so much in the, in the hard sciences, like in, you know, chemistry and things like that. It actually is the two, the two languages, obviously of the hard sciences, like chemistry, physics, mathematics also, um, the two languages are obviously um, English and German, and then also to a sec uh, to a to a lesser extent French. There's some work that's done in French, but German still has this extraordinarily prominent place in rigorous academic work because of its its just extreme precision. And you can also argue that to a, to a certain extent that Latin also has a a capacity for precision that. For example, well, English, English by now does because English, the language is just enormous by now. Um, it's almost as big as, as Greek, and that's saying something. Greek has like 36 different separate words for love, which, you know, kind of makes sense because it's kind of goofy to say that you, you love your spouse, you love God, and you love pie using exactly the same word, right. you know, right. so, and chicken wings and things like that. So, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, they even, they revert in that text to, to super uber precise German words that Ganswein used. And it's just, don't even gaslight me. Don't even try to gaslight me because it's all right there. Another, uh, another device that he used just to drive home the fact that he, he wasn't using any sort of allegorical or, uh, that, that that he meant what he said and that and that Benedict's decision was 
on the order of magnitude of God's decision. I'm not making this up, this up God's decision to perform the immaculate conception. He makes a direct correlation. It's just like every other papal resignation. It's just like every other resignation of anyone who has ever quit a job ever, except it's like the immaculate conception. I mean, what? What? Wow. uh, What? I'm, I'm what? You, your your Bavarian Jedi mind tricks do not work on people who have more than two brain cells to rub together, Georg, okay? And this isn't going away, and we're just going to keep grinding on this and grinding on this and make sure as many people as possible know and aren't bamboozled by the fact that, I mean, yeah, I guess I guess some some women of normal sexuality would look at gay organzoine and say, yeah, that's a pretty good looking guy. He has nice teeth and you know, yeah, he's kind of a good looking guy. Do you honestly think that you can, that you can bamboozle the one holy Catholic and apostolic church with that crap? Do you think that God almighty is not going to, you know, incite people I don't mean to flatter myself, but I I have at least two brain cells to rub together, and I go to Mass almost every day. Do you honestly think that God Almighty is not going to raise up people who are not going to be, you know, dazzled by your Bavarian square jaw and your straight teeth and, and say, oh, whatever you, whatever he says, oh, oh, that gay organswine, he's so dreamy. I mean... What, what what the hell do you think? What the hell do you think we are? Yes. Yes, yes. indeed. <laughs> I'm going to leave that right there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to close that off about the, the speech at the Greg, the, the, he makes direct references to what's probably the other big uh, piece of evidence uh, along with this speech is that he's referencing back to the final so far – final uh, public audience of um, of Pope Benedict uh, the day before he left on the helicopter where he refer where he basically says I'm not going anywhere folks the always is also a forever and this doesn't change any of that um, and just compl- lays out the basically yep. his his view of the papacy not as a strict juridical office yep. but more at more like a sacrament and yep. it, it, that leaves an indelible mark yep irrevocable all the always is also a forever irrevocable what what part of that are we not understanding my, my decision to renounce the ministry does not i'm not going to get the words exactly right but he says active governance of the church right Right, but he well after he uses the term whether whether he right after he uses the term that it's irrevocable, he says that my decision to renounce the active ministry does not change this. So so words along those lines. Yeah, I mean, and then and then he uses the verb remain. I remain. I will remain. He uses remain at least twice within the enclosure of Saint Peter. I mean, it's. Yep. You're yep. stupid. The- You're stupid. Also, <laughs> I don't even know what you look like, but can I just say, Mark, you're ugly. <laughs> no one should listen to you. 
because you are physically unattractive. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, the last piece that I'm going to bring up in this part is the sort of the, uh, this was a real uh, series of breadcrumbs in between the announcement. Was it uh, February 11th? Yes. February 11th, mm-hmm. um, the announcement of his supposed abdication up until the 28th, which is the day that he left in the helicopter. Mm-hmm. There's a whole series of events that uh, that unfolds where all of the um, the the Vatican experts were reporting on. Well, now this is here's the series of things that's going to happen now because we had a pope resign. Um, things like he'll go back either to being a cardinal or to being a a uh, bishop, a, 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 or or a bishop, where wearing pretty much any color other than white. Yep. Well, that didn't happen. Yeah. Well, you know the ring will get smashed. Well, that, that didn't, didn't happen. happen. Well, he's not going to be referred to as his holiness anymore. Well, that mm-hmm. didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So just all of the and they it kind of trickled out in that two or three week period there where uh, he Benedict would be approached in, in an interview or in a letter about some aspect of his retirement. And he would completely contradict in his own personal decision of how, what it was going to look like after the fact yep. he would c- contradict what you would normally think would happen. Oh, and by the way, he would also be completely unseen and completely unheard from. Oh, right. that didn't happen either. <laughs> right. But Mark, Mark, come on. We, we were being intellectually dishonest here. The reason he had to continue wearing white is because there were no black cassocks anywhere in the city of Rome or even that could have been fabricated anywhere in the world between 11 February and 28 February. And furthermore, it has not been possible for him to acquire any black cassock, anything. He's, he could only wear the custom-made white quilted papal puffy coat that he wears or the custom-made, custom-tailored, white cashmere full-length coat that he wears when he goes out. There's nothing black, and there couldn't be anything black, and there hasn't been able to be anything black anywhere in the entire city of Rome or the entire surface of the planet Earth in seven years so we're being intellectually dishonest because it's calls, just been impossible calls to gamarelli have have been have not been returned have not been returned <laughs> have yeah been so returned. those were his those were his words folks yeah. that that way he was specifically asked about why he was retaining the white cassock There's and that nothing else for me to wear yeah straight up that was his answer yep I mean, and, I, 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 and I, heaven knows, heaven knows that I have been very vocal about the damage that cuckoo pants conspiracy theorists have done and the damage that has caused over the last how many, how, how many years. Um, however, I don't think that it is unreasonable to think that at minimum, Pope Benedict saying there were no black cassocks for me to wear was 
at, at absolute minimum, an action of the divine providence, and I'm not being silly here, an action of the divine providence, or, and I'm only, I'm not even really being silly when I say this, could that have been some sort of a Vietnam captive blinking torture in so in in morse code which that totally happened is that is is that some sort of a cry for help or something i mean it's just it's so categorically outlandish that you look at something like that and you just say is is there a deeper is there a deeper agenda or context or meaning to this and when you read i I know i actually think that's that's the real thing, because when you look at the the, the broader context with uh, that interview, and and you you see the the it's it's almost as if he offered that response with a wink. Yeah. Like like yeah. not 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 necessarily as a joke, but with a wink. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to go back and look at the and, and look at the original, but that's the sense that I got. Mm-hmm. That yeah, well, I I. I there, there weren't any other clothes available. What's the other thing he said? There's two other things he said. I know what they both are. He said that he had to resign the papacy because he was too tired to go to World Youth Day. That's correct. I mean, I, are you kidding me? And I'm not saying are you kidding me in the sense of you can't get on a plane and fly to Brazil. I, 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 I take you at your word at that. I understand if you don't want to do that. World Youth Day? World Youth Day should be abolished anyway, and Ratzinger knows that. World Youth Day is is damn near an orgy at this point. Yes. Um, so has really? been has been even you know back to John Paul too. It, it's been uh, it was in Toronto uh, when I lived there around the year two thousand, and just oh man. Um, yeah. But right, he wrote that he he felt that 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 event. Uh, wasn't properly possible without the personal presence of the Pope. Wow, how's that for alliteration? <laughs> wow, very well done, well done. So I'm sorry, because you, you because of feelings, you feel like that mm. event has to have the Pope personally attend. You're going to resign the whole thing? Right. 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 The other one, and this, this, this surpasses even the there are no black cassocks in terms of its sheer i'm sorry there's no other word it's sheer mendacity he said there were four or five sodomites in the roman curia but he cleaned them out of there mm. <laughs> yeah, okay okay we are now into we're we're not it, we're not talking about not being in the same galactic cluster. We're not even in the same. We're not in the same universe. We're not in the same dimension. And nobody, I am telling you, he was the head of the CDF. He'd been in that damn mess for decades. He knew. He knew the thing was completely and totally saturated. He knew it. For him to say there were four or five and it's okay, I cleaned them up. Oh, ho, 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 ho. nope, nope, nope. Well, and if anything, if anything, the the whole infiltration, sodomitical infiltration, wa- could have been a prime reason or the, the, the sheer magnitude of it. Let's yep. say, when was the dossier delivered to him? Was it in December of 2012? I know exactly the day. 
the dossier was delivered to him on the 11th of December 2012 and the only reason I know that is because when I went on my tourist pilgrimage to Rome I arrived in Rome my plane landed at 2 p.m. on the 11th of December 2012 I checked into my hotel at 3:45 p.m. and I was at mass that night at 6:30 I arrived in Rome for the first time when that on the exactly the same day that that dossier was delivered to him and your point is exactly spot on and we have this confirmed by a very unlikely source the French sodomite um I don't know what do you call him militant sodomite author Frederick Martel wrote a book last year called the secret of the Vatican in English or something like that in all the rest of the world it was called Sodoma S-O-D-O-M-A Nice. As in Sodom. Yeah, and Martel is a militant, active um, sodomite agitator. And so he wrote this book about how completely, totally infiltrated Rome, the Vatican, what a bunch of quote-unquote hypocrites they all are, all of the prostitution. I read the book, and um, the stuff, <laughs> everything except the parts about where he was calling Pope Benedict and cardinal burke oh pope benedict and cardinal burke are clearly gay because they deny they're gay i mean this was the guy's entire entire argument they're clearly gay because they deny that they're gay they're clearly Hmm. gay because they like traditional high liturgy i mean it's just that was read i I don't want to say read the book i don't i certainly don't want to put any money in that guy's pocket but that was his entire argument against pope benedict and cardinal burke they're they're clearly gay because they deny they're gay and by the way if you haven't been around sodomites that is textbook textbook sodomite projection they they project onto absolutely everyone around them especially if they hate you if they have if they have anything against you and you're a man if you have any interaction with sodomite men, they will project on you and mm, you're hiding something. Mm, you're in the closet. And it's all, I mean, it's all BS, but that's that's what narcissists do. They project. Well, anyway, so um, Martel writes this book. One of the most credible chapters and passages of this book is that Martel went to Cuba and um what Martel recounts is that Pope Benedict went to Cuba in like, what would it have been? It was shortly before. It would have been like in 2011, I want to say. Pope Benedict goes to Cuba. And Pope Benedict is presented with a dossier about the infiltration of the prelature, the bishops in Cuba, and it's basically 100%. And when I say infiltration, I mean sodomitical infiltration. And I mean like, you know, bringing in boy prostitutes and the whole, it's just an absolute decadent mess, which stands to reason because it's Cuba. It's a communist, it's a communist thing. Everything's under the thumb of the Castro brothers. Of course, all of the, the prelates are, are completely compromised. Who, who are the ones who instigated and and effectuated the infiltration and placed all the sodomites hello anybody heard of bella dodd bella dodd was a communist agent who then converted and testified we placed over 1500 sodomites 
into into the the Catholic priesthood with the specific directive to destroy the church from the inside out. And hello, uh, it's exactly exactly what happened so pope benedict goes to cuba he's presented with a dossier and is just confronted with the fact that the entire church in cuba is basically completely populated by sodomites in terms of the bishops and the priests and martel reports that pope benedict wept wept at this knowledge at the realization of this and I, th- I think that despair, I think that the sin of despair and Pope Benedict not having enough faith in, in the papacy, in his office, in his potency, in his capacity to act, you're an absolute monarch. But see, that's the problem. He's been in this German academy his entire adult life and they've just been relentlessly attacking this notion of the papacy as an absolute monarchy. Oh, that doesn't work in this modern democratized world. That is no longer a viable, that's no longer a viable paradigm. Absolute monarchy. Come on, we we got rid of all of that in World War One. Yeah, no shit. You know who did that too? You know who was responsible for that? The Freemasons. That was their entire agenda. It's why they started World War I. It's been their entire project. You have to destroy all notions of monarchy because you have to, de- you have to destroy the notion of a, a secular civil monarchy in the sense of you know ruling this in the secular in the secular world in order to then move on to the actual target of freemasonry which is the pope who is the absolute monarch of absolute monarchs and so yeah i'm gonna take a breath and you know he 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 very well may have uh just backing up a minute he very well may have seen the magnitude Mm -hmm. uh thought that there was that he wasn't powerful enough to to make changes on the ground and decided to retreat and take the supernatural route and be the contemplative half of the papacy because there's only at this point uh, there only is a supernatural solution to the problem at hand but you see it's not it's not contemplative he wrote an essay in which he specifically said that the the most perfect manifestation of the papacy was the humiliated suffering pope yes uh, that's true too he actually wrote more than one essay more than one homily about that yep and uh yes that's very true that's very true I so think he, my german correspondents keep telling me that that there's an essay that he wrote specifically in about 94 in fact you know what essay it is i why don't I just write this up and post it? Um, it is the very famous thermonuclear essay that he opens with that big Overton window shift where he says, where he cites er- the German theologian Eric Peterson waxing about how there should be a a triune papacy reflecting the triune Godhead with a Catholic, yes. Protestant, and Orthodox Pope. That's all an Overton window shift, which, again, my German academic correspondents tell me this is typical 20th century German academy. You open a a thesis that you're writing or an essay 
that you're writing with some massive Overton window shift like that. And then you walk it back and introduce your shift, which is just fractional of whatever lunacy you've just opened with. And, and then the reader is looking at this and reading this and saying, my goodness, what this person is actually proposing in the body of this thesis sounds positively quaint and reasonable compared to the, the Overton window shift that, that he opened with citing somebody else. Right, and we get criticized for for bringing that passage up because we get criticized by people who say, "Well, you can't prove that Ratzinger himself believed in that position." No, we're not saying that he believed in it. Do you not understand what the Overton window is? Yeah. Do you not understand using that as a device to then introduce your own idea, which is far less radical, but yet still a shift from where the common thought is today. Exactly. And so my, my German Academy correspondents keep saying they, they believe that Ratzinger could possibly think that he is the uber pope, that he is the most perfect manifestation of the Petrine Sea ever, precisely because he has put himself in this position of being the quote unquote humiliated suffering pope. I, right. I, I can't I can't look at that and say no that's totally wrong because it it does it it is congruent with observable reality it's completely plausible it's completely believable he wrote about it several different places at several different times in in history and he even he his his homily on the passing of uh, Pope Paul the sixth mm -hmm. illustrates this this exact uh, this exact concept of the the suffering servant okay show notes are you writing this down so it's two it's the it's the 94 essay. It's the thermonuclear essay, and it is the Paul the Sixth, uh, death of Paul the Sixth homily. Right. Okay. Got both, that. And remember, guys, Paul the Sixth died in seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. Yes, yeah. I wrote a blog post on that one, so I know yeah. I've got that covered. Yep. Yep. So we're at an hour and nine minutes, and I know that you want to close off with the. Um, uh, some commentary around the Professor De Matei and the Rorati Post and the uh, whole Munich demonstration. Yeah, well, I mean, they did the Munich demonstration, the silent um, Frank, Wal <laughs> Frank Walker calls it the <laughs> the standing there <laughs> um, um, in Munich. And um, Father Z immediately made a post in which he was... He was not completely thrilled with the whole paradigm. I'll let you go ahead and make your case, and then I'll rebut. I mean, it's not so much of a case. It's just kind of the kind of my uh, first blush at it, just initial reaction when I saw it was, okay, this is this looks like a good excuse to travel from the U.S. to Europe to uh, make a show of something that is really just more recognized and resist and is not getting us anywhere because false base premise. And uh, true, yeah, <laughs> you know, so I just I really kind of and then later that day, Father Zed came out and was basically had the, the same attitude about it that, you know, we can have a thousand more of those. Well, and Frank's point was, or I think I think it was Frank. 
I believe it was Frank who said, you know, with the with the media reach that that the remnant has, why couldn't you have why couldn't you have coordinated that same thing in a hundred different cities across the world? Because that would have made uh, might have mm-hmm. been making more of a statement. Mm-hmm. Whereas this was this was kind of it looked like an excuse to be in Bavaria to me. I don't know. OK, good points. I hear you. Um, I uh, mean, who doesn't want to be in Bavaria? Don't right. get me wrong. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't want to go. So to, maybe it was I don't want to go to Germany. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was just jealousy on my part. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's something to be said for that. So first contextual contextual point, it's being all painted as this massive, massive um, European aristocratic snobbery situation. And it really isn't that. Point of context number one, Americans do not understand this because in, we have the First Amendment and the freedom to peaceably assemble is, is cooked into our culture and it's cooked into the First Amendment of the Constitution. In, in nations in Europe in which there was active combat, especially in World War I and especially World War II, there is not the the right to to even peaceably assemble there are massive massive prohibitions and you have to do you have to jump through all kinds of hoops and do all kinds of things to be able to do any sort of a demonstration it just you you seriously you they will come in the cops will they are terrified terrified of rioting of you know, public public violence and factions fighting and all of this. There is a massive fear and sensitivity to all of that in Europe that Americans are just oblivious to because we've always had the right to peaceably assemble. Um, even right, with that makes total sense. And and, and yeah. you're right. I would have I would have never I would have never thought about that angle. It's a big deal. Um, just as an example, I was told. When I was in, uh, when I first went over to Italy, I was told you literally, if you're sitting outside and you're having a lunch with your friends and you're having some sort of a conversation about history and politics, if you make the Nazi or fascist salute, even just being a, in the context of conversation, just being a dork, making a point, being stupid, whatever it is, you can literally be arrested for that. Hmm. It is against the law to make the Nazi or the fascist salute in Italy. You can't do it. That, that, I mean, that's how hardcore the situation is. And all of that World War One and World War Two stuff, you guys don't understand. I mean, a lot of, a lot of American boys died, obviously, in both World War One and World War Two. You don't understand how bad it was over, over there. Entire, an entire generation of breeding age males were completely wiped out of, you know, little every town has a World War One, especially war dead plaque. I mean, you'll go into some teeny tiny little Italian mountain village, and in the middle of the town square, there's some there's some war memorial with just dozens and dozens and dozens of names, and you're thinking, crap, this town this town is tiny. And then mm-hmm. you realize the entire generation of those people's sons 
were wiped out. So World War One and World War Two, yeah, I mean it was I mean, we've got Pearl Harbor and lots of Americans died and were injured and so on and so forth. No doubt, no question. But the way the Europeans suffered during those wars is way, way worse. And remember, that all that crap happened literally in their backyards. There was no I mean Pearl Harbor was the only, if I'm not mistaken, the only incidence of an act of war on American territory. Right. Yeah, and I believe that's, that's true. it. Yeah, that's it. Okay. These people, this they had they had Nazis like coming into their houses. I mean, everything it was just it was it was awful so that's number one the whole we are not going to have riots in the streets and public demonstrations and we're not going to have civil war or anything like that Europeans are much more sensitive that so so you just can't roll in and do a demonstration like you can in the U.S. even the most benign in the world when they do pro-life marches in Italy or anywhere in Europe oh crap it takes months and months and months of getting permits and you have to organize with the police and here's the route we're going to take and there's going to be a police escort and there's going to be police protection and then if there's any sort of counter demonstration to anything they have to get certified they have to be clear the hell on the other side of town so that there's no risk of it's so funny for anyone who's ever gone to Rome the streets are cobbled with these little paver stones that are about four inches cubic four-inch cubic paver stones. And the thing about those is, is that you can, people can, if they're pissed off enough, they can take a hammer and they can they can pull those things up out of the street and they're weapons. They chuck them, you know, they slingshot mm. them, they throw them. And they, it's a four-inch cubic piece of basically, what would it be, like slate, you know? It's, right. it, I mean, you can kill somebody easily with one of those. The entire place is paved with those. Millions and millions and millions and millions of these projectiles are just, just cover the entire city. So they take all this stuff very seriously. So that's point number one. Um, point number two. Um, these people, the organizers of this thing, specifically do not no priests are invited they don't want to tangle any priests up they don't want to have pictures taken and then there's a priest and he gets you know in total dutch with his bishop and he gets his his faculties taken away and he gets right you know sent for psychological eva- evaluation in a facility the, the, with a the bunch of pedophiles they, you know the one that they had was already in hiding exactly <laughs> that's archbishop vigano who's already in hiding contacted the organizers at literally the last minute and said, can I roll in and I'll be in disguise? I'm not going to be in a collar. And they were, what, what are they going to say? No. Of course right. they're not going to say no. Of course. So, yeah. The only, but th- 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 your point is exactly to the point. Vigano was there because they can't do anything to Vigano at this point. Vigano is already in hiding for fear of his life. He flew into Munich, and baby, I can guarantee you, he flew out of Munich. He it, he wasn't giving away that he's living in Munich or anywhere near. He was mm-hmm. in, he's back out, and who knows where. It's not as if Germany isn't well-connected by by air travel, you know? Right, so, so and so his, his, I'm just trying to bring us back to, to the to the events directly preceding it, which were um, Archbishop Vigano 
referring to Pope Benedict in the uh, present tense singular. As the sovereign Sec- pontiff. <laughs> yes, as the sovereign pontiff. The and then also sovereign pontiff, the, yeah. The professor's piece that was published either for Rorate or, or, or at the site, I don't know if it was if they if they lifted it from somewhere else or if it was it was probably it was specifically syndi- for that no nah, i think it was syndicated i think it was syndicated. okay yeah so where he repeats his his uh basically what he wrote in april of 2018 yep. which is which is that well he benedict could have resigned but he pretty obviously didn't <laughs> um but then but then in he he still falls back on the universal peaceful acceptance argument even though it's obvious to his eyes that Benedict is still Pope. Right. So it's, it's, it's just, it's all this piece of uh, uh, this uh, idea of recognize and resist that just, it's, it's not going to get us anywhere, folks. It's just not. No, no. And it's very Protestant because what do you, what do you resist? You pick and choose the, the, the vicar of Jesus Christ on earth says what he says and then you pick and choose what of that you're going to take mm, sounds like protestantism to me um, right so yeah. it's the the, the 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 pontiff is the standard of unity the pontiff is quote-unquote francis and yet i'm going to choose to be not in union with him yes on these <laughs> 47 heretical positions. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. So, um, so Vigano was there, but as policy, no priests were invited. And I would hearken everyone's memory back, if I may, to October when Pachamama was happening, the Amazon Synod was happening. Um, and then the month concluded with the, with the trad conference in Rome that they have every year called Samorum Pontificum to celebrate Pope Benedict um, legally, fully liberating the old mass. And so what happened there is that this exact same group of Professor DiMattei and then who uh, lots of people were there. Michael Matt was there. Um, John Henry Weston was there and they were at the Munich thing, too. But Voris was at the was at the October thing. I mean, there were there were a lot of people there and um, there were no priests there as well. Why? Because where were the priests? If you all remember The priests were off in a church very close by, very close to the Castel Sant'Angelo. They were doing an exorcism and they they were doing exorcism prayers and they were calling down the protection of St. Michael on Holy Mother Church. So the priests were all off doing that and the people who were doing the standing and praying thing, those were all lay people. And the organizers want this to be a lay initiative. So Father Z is offended that he wasn't invited. He wouldn't have been invited anyway because he's a priest. Right. He's just, I mean, and it's not, you know, no offense, but it's, they're not really there for much of a conference or anything. If you want to participate, be in union. And that leads to my final point. So many people keep overlooking this. Um, They say, well, there were only 100 people there. Really? Because there are, at my latest estimation, which doesn't mean anything, but, you know, looking at uh, various and sundry scientific articles about, you know, telescopes and they're discovering the size of the universe and the scope of the universe and how many galaxies there are if if it's true that every star in the entire universe has its own angel that regulates it 
That, I've heard that. That would put it at somewhere well into the quintillions of angels. So when you do, do you think that people get together and do an initiative like this and are praying the rosary in union, praying for Holy Mother Church, praying for a resolution to all of this? You, do you think that the entire host of heaven, the entire church triumphant, if your cause is true, just, and right, which I believe that it is, casting aside for a moment the identity of the Pope, but just in, in the general sense of praying for the church and praying for a resolution to this situation, of course the entire church triumphant is there. There have been a hundred, science estimates that there's been 110 billion human beings in all of history put a coefficient in front of that, what percentage of those, and it's probably relatively small, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, just common sense would tell you it's probably relatively small. And, and scripture, and the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Gospels, indicate that it's probably, it's a coefficient of that. There's, mm -hmm. not, a, there's not 110 billion human souls in in the beatific vision. There's a percentage of that. We don't know what it is, but there's a percentage of that. However, the angelic beings quintillions there's probably quintillions of them so i'm sorry but when you make this argument well, there were only a hundred people there you know i hear exactly that same argument about why um priests in the old mass should never be allowed to say private masses well there's nobody there and i'm just like excuse me excuse me what, what did you just say there's mm -hmm. nobody there it's the holy and august sacrifice of calvary the entire host of heaven, every single rational intellect that is in the beatific vision is assisting at that mass. What, what are you talking about? There's nobody there. It doesn't matter how many uh, corporally alive on the planet Earth right now people are there. Ideally, the priest should have a server, but even, even the law of the church right now says that the priest doesn't even have to have a server. Perhaps someone who suggests that doesn't believe what they say they believe. Well, I think they're just I think they're just missing something. And you know, I do it. I make mistakes like this and I and then hopefully God will will allow me to catch all of them at some point so I can repent and correct before I die. But you know, you catch yourself in these little and it's not a little mistake, but I, I think everybody listening understands the point I'm trying to make. We catch ourselves in these very earthly, bodily mistakes and assumptions that we make. That we, that the earth, the physical universe is the center of everything. And we just tend to forget everything else. And we can't do that because there's the entire host of heaven and whatever the truth is the entire host of heaven is on the side of whoever has the truth so i mean obviously mark and i only a person who is categorically i mean literally insane would ever hold a position that they didn't believe to be true we both believe that our position is true um this is and this gets into questions of of conscience and acting on your conscience and so on and so forth people ask me you know do you what what's your percentage of doubt in all this are you like 
are you like 90-10, 95-5? And I'm like, no, I'm, my percentage of doubt is epsilon above zero. And for those of you who don't know the mathematical term epsilon, epsilon is a mathematical term for the smallest possible quantity above zero. Now, I have to give it epsilon because if our Lord... If I, or if I die or whatever, or whatever happens, and our Lord comes and says, Anne, you actually misread this. It's not like I'm going to tell him, no, and I'm going to go to hell, you know? I mean, that that's insanity. But in terms of me living my life, looking at this data set, engaging this, going to mass, going to adoration, praying the rosary, what what is my level of doubt? And, and just dealing with objective reality because remember kids only the real counts only the real matters your psychoses and your daddy issues and your fee wings and i don't i don't want ratzinger back he abandoned me no one gives a shit especially god because only the real matters I, Amen. I, yeah. So my my level of doubt is epsilon above zero. And it's just if if anything, it's it's getting less and less. I mean, when I, yeah. I came, I fought you for a year, and I finally <laughs> saw the light. It was it was third of July, twenty seventeen. Mm. Um, that's when it was it, it was in the the month preceding that that I kind of was able to cobble everything together. And the real clincher was I had never seen the final general audience from 27 February, 2013. And when when you, when you put that puppy side by side with Ganswine's speech at the Greg, it's just, it's, and, and combined with all of the, you know, the visual uh, evidence that we have. And, and, and of course, since then it's just been, and by then we had a Morris Letizia too. So we did, we did, we, we'd actually, yeah, we'd had it for, for about a year uh, at, at that point. So, um, yeah, for sure. And moral certitude is, is, uh, in, in matters that are of grave importance is a much lower bar. You don't, you don't have to be absolutely certain. You don't need absolute certitude to, to see the evidence and come out in favor of, Hey, this is the most likely answer to to the problem we have at, at hand. But since then, I'm sorry. Um, idolatry in St. Peter's. Yeah. Um, Denial of the divinity of Christ. Um, Yes. Yeah. How many more, how many, how much more needs to happen before you're, you're starting to understand that something's amiss here. And I so appreciate you um, making that precision about the levels of certainty and moral certainty is in fact the lowest level. That was good. That was a light bulb for me. And it's a really effective way to explain things to people. So let's, let's put it this way. In the summer of 2016, I'm a person who sees an 18 month old baby sitting in front of an open cabinet in front of a kitchen sink, sitting on the floor with a big white bottle, getting ready to dump it into their mouth. Okay, I am morally certain that I have to stop this kid from doing this. It might be soap, which wouldn't poison the kid, but it's, it's, there's, a, there's also a damn good chance that it's liquid plumber. Okay, in the time since the summer of 2016 up until now, like 
guys on a near daily basis. I'm now to the point where I can see the bottle. I bought it at the store. I know what it is. I can see the label on it. I can see Liquid Plumber. I can see the logo of Liquid Plumber. I can see the skull and crossbones on it. Again, do I need to send the bottle to a, a chemistry lab to get um, a chemical essay on what that bottle contains? No. Nope. In, in the summer of 2016, I was already morally certain that I cannot permit that 18-year-old baby to chug that bottle of whatever the hell it was that they got out from under the kitchen sink. Now, here we sit in the 2020, I can read the damn label. Um, don't need to send it to the lab, but yep. I can, but I can read the label and I can see the skull and crossbones. That's just the situation that we're in. So we're at an hour 30. I think this has been, I think this has been a heck of a show. And I think there's a lot of people who are going to like this one. I've sure enjoyed it. I don't know about you, but I certainly have. It's been, it's been cathartic. I feel, I feel a sense of release. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, feedback, the email address for the show, if you can helpfully explain how the standard of unity can also be the vector of schism, <laughs> is podcast. Shut up, podcast, stupid. Shut up, ugly. <laughs> podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Ants benefactors, at least one mass every day, most days more than one mass, and yep. one requiem mass every week for everyone who's died in the previous week. It doesn't matter if you died of old age, food poisoning. Or drinking liquid uh, plumber or anything else. Drink a, or, or if you're subjected to television in the United States this week, what's on every channel is the creepiness of Adam Schiff's demonic stare. No matter what you die from, a requiem mm. mass is offered for everyone who died in the past week. Please pray for these and all priests. Mm. Satan's forces would love nothing more than to take out all priests and leave us without the mass or the sacraments. But your prayers can and do help hold back that tide. Yes. The Bard Heart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you get, got some value out of this or previous podcasts and would like to turn some, return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com slash donate for, for, for more information. Even though he's not on this recording, if Super Nerd weren't editing, processing, perfecting, and publishing the recorded audio, <laughs> you wouldn't be hearing it right now. Amen. And he also keeps Anne's site going against all cyber thre threats, foreign and domestic. Indeed. And now here's Anne with the Matthew 1720 initiative. Hey, hey, the Matthew 1720 fast, pray, pray every day, fast twice a week if you can. Do what you can, folks. Um, I do Tuesdays and Fridays generally, but hey, even I bump if companies come in or I have some sort of a dealio or something like that. Uh, but fast, pray, fourfold intention. Number one, that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-pope and the whole thing be nullified. Number two, that Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope, gloriously reigning whether he likes it or not, uninterrupted since April of 2005. That Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the full, fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision and that Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of anything that he might need to repent of 
die in a state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision, nothing less than all four of those will do. We are expected to expect the best, the biggest, the best, go big or go home with, with regards of, of what we implore God to do through his Holy Mother and specifically under the title of Our Lady Undoer of Knots. But let me also say that the novena of Our Lady of Good Success begins tomorrow, the 24th of January. You can do it. You can do a novena any time. But the reason you start on the 24th of January to Our Lady of Good Success is because then the novena concludes on the Feast of the Presentation. So um, I'm totally going to do that. And of course, my intention will be for the Matthew 1720 intention. So there you go. Amen. Our Lady Undoer of Knots. Pray, for, pray us. for us. I think that's it. Until next time, I'm Mark. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless.